Hey, and welcome to the podcast where we talk about creating experimental art in trauma-informed and sustainable ways that support artists, our communities, and our organization as a whole. I'm your host, Micah, and you're listening to Any Other Anythings. beautiful evening welcome everyone listening uh thanks for joining us uh this is gray box collectives any other anythings uh and we're in season two let's uh celebrate that because another another year has come around so um we're excited to be back um i am here with another one of our lovely um, um collaborative artists um and i've always been <laughs> i've always been a uh huge like i guess i've made a mockery sometimes of when people are like oh this person needs no introduction and then they proceed to give an introduction so i'm i think i'm gonna actually not give an introduction but it's not because you don't need one it's because i want you to present yourself as you are so without any further ado um i would love for my guests to introduce themselves and give us a quick rundown who am i speaking with today Hello, I'm John Adalis. I am an ensemble member with Greybox Collective. And this is gotta be, gosh, my fourth season with Greybox Collective now. So yeah. Absolutely love it. So okay, okay. Tell us how you got introduced to Greybox. Like what was the first experience? Yeah, I just saw the auditions on Facebook and um I didn't know Molly at the time, but like she was like a mutual friend of like my friends in the ASU School of Theater. Um, so yeah, I saw the audition come up and I was like, and I was like really close to where I lived at the time mm. at Zero Tempe. Um, so yeah, I just showed up to audition, like gosh, four years ago now. And I love yeah. it. That's honestly so wild. I so I'm curious, you mentioned uh like ASU was kind of the common ground uh, where where you know the sparks began to to to, to appear, um, and I'm curious about uh, what part of the arts or performance arts were you? I guess first, what did you first fall in love with? I know for me, it's always been like music was my first love. That's how I got into everything, and everything just kind of exploded from there. I'm what was yours? Was it movement? Was it theater? Uh, great question. Yeah, I guess for me, that's a great question. My first first love would definitely be music. Like Britney Spears is definitely my first love growing up. Oh uh, gosh, I had the had a little doll of her and everything. But my <laughs> parents got me into acting at a really young age. So mm. as a child, I grew up in Los Angeles. So I was doing like background work as a child. I'm thankful my parents never wanted me to be like a child star. They wanted me to do school. That was my main focus. I'm grateful for that. So as a child, I was mostly just doing background work for like uh, music videos, commercials, film. And then in uh, middle school, I did Taming of the Shrew. So that's how I got in theater. And then, yeah, I went to ASU for theater, the concentration acting. That's awesome. Okay. Well, man, that's really funny because 
I kind of share a similar story. As I mentioned before, like, I guess both of our foundations were in music, which is super cool to see. Awesome that you come from L.A. I feel like it's the reverse. Most people that are in Phoenix end up moving to L.A. My best friend moved out there uh, after we finished university together, and he loves it. L.A. is not for me, um, but um, it, it was it was cool to kind of see him grow in his journey. But, um, yeah, I, I do... Um, love that you're able to kind of dive into theater i did the same thing and that's kind of what i'm pursuing full-time as well right now so it's uh, really kind of cool to see that intersectionality um i i am curious um with your time with Graybox, has there been a show that you've uh collaborated on or an experience that maybe you just went to go see um uh surrounding the little world that is Graybox Collective that really made an impact on you, um, that you really think back fondly on, that maybe if you could revisit or re rediscover for the first time or reimagine uh, for a second time, uh, is there any project that like stands out to you? Yeah, I mean, the first show I did was Tangled Mess. That was so spring mm. 2019. And yeah, uh, gosh, I was 20, uh, junior in college during that show. and. Um, I guess I, it's just a sort of nostalgia thing. This was like before the pandemic, before anyone knew what was going to happen. Mm. And, um, so yeah, it was that, gosh, I can't remember. It's the artist box in Tempe, which is like closed down now. So it's definitely that nostalgia of thinking back to my first show with Graybox Collective. And yeah, I had never done, like I had done device theater before, especially at ASU. It's, I've definitely done device works but i never done anything as like post-traumatic and non-linear as something with mm. Box. so it was really a great experience for me so yeah it was my first time being exposed to gray boxes uh structure and yeah it was really cool yeah I think, yeah I, I think fondly of my first time with tangled nuts that's so awesome i you said something really interesting there like it was your first time collaborating on a project that was more of a non-linear structure um, very abstract in the way that's not only that it's approached, but in the way that it's actually performed as well, uh, which is super cool to kind of explore, especially as a as an artist, um, and especially when you're kind of accustomed to that sort of uh, linear storytelling in theater or film or you know the common <laughs> uh, ways that we typically consume that uh, entertainment. Um, I do wonder uh, when you were in the rehearsal room. Uh, how did you feel like you were able to contribute to the layering of storytelling, uh, that nonlinear exploration? Like, what were some ways that you uh, kind of like to infuse yourself into the project? Yeah, so um, really with the rehearsals, how we did it with Tangled Mess, how just being with Molly, like, uh, like a gosh, I can't remember so long ago now. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was three years ago. So yeah, my memory's yeah. blanking. Um, there's like a green room in the basement of the Nelson Fine Arts Center in at Tempe campus at ASU. People who've gone to ASU know what I'm talking about the green room. We would meet in there and she would give me prompts that I would like write down answers. And those texts became the texts that I used in the show. So that's really, and then of course the movement aspect and I'm, I'm not a dancer, I'm not a mover. I mean, I guess I'm a mover. I took like movement classes in college, but like mm. I was definitely kind of, you know, scared to go into like the movement aspects of it. But once I did it, I really, um, 
enjoyed it. It was really freeing once I stopped thinking about it and like just did it. I love that. Yeah, there is really something to be said about that. Like, I know I plan everything. I get in my head. I'm like, okay, let me do this. Let me do that. Even when I did improv in school, I felt like I would go in with a plan. And I was like, well, is it really improv anymore if I like have a plan and I'm like thinking about my character and what choices I'm going to make, blah, blah, blah. So like really being able to let go and kind of just react, respond uh, and be present in what your environment is who your audience is, what the vibe is, like really reading the room in a sense, right? Uh, I think that's such a cool uh, dynamic that's not often explored in the arts. So uh, yeah, that's so, that's awesome. I love that. Um, <laughs> I, I do wonder, uh, so Greybox Collective is really, really, I guess, built on the idea of how do we work through trauma um, and explore and support it through art. Um, how has that, I guess, balance been for you? Because I know uh, a lot of people kind of sometimes uh, perceive art as a form of therapy sometimes. And there are actual like certified forms of art as therapy. Um, this is not therapy in that sense, not in not in a, a professional or, or clinical sense, but, um, when we're thinking of the idea of a trauma-informed creative practice, what does that look like or feel like uh, to you um, in your time working with Greybox? Yeah, uh, good question. Um, it's definitely, you know, you know, respecting other boundaries and, you know, um, you know, reading the room, seeing, you know, what's appropriate for this occasion. You definitely don't want to like trauma dump on, you know, people mm. at the rehearsal room. At the same time, though, I do feel Gwen Stefani, one of my favorite songwriters, an underrated songwriter, once said, you know, you really <laughs> have to be vulnerable to, uh, you know, write good songs. And I, some of my favorite, no doubt, songs were when Gwen Stefani started to really write about. Sorry, I'm a Gwen Stefani fan. Her breakup with <laughs> Tony Canal, in no doubt. So, um, it's that, yeah, it's definitely that balance. It's a good question of, um, you know, respecting faces, being professional, but at the same time, you do have to be vulnerable in the space and you can't be afraid of failure. Kind of going back to like being afraid mm. of, I have to remember, you know, a lot of theater in general, just trial and error, and especially yeah. in the rehearsal, you just have to like try things out. Not everything will be in the, in the actual show, but let's just throw it out here. You never know what's going to sit, you know, it's an yeah. advantage. And you don't know if you don't try. That's a cliche. Yeah. Um, especially. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I hope that answered that question. No, yeah, I love that. And I think one thing that really kind of stood out again to me was uh, just the idea of like, as simple as the phrase is, you don't know until you try, really is like, it holds such weight more than I think we realize um one of my favorite things that molly says is just like we have permission to speak and draft and i think like especially in a rehearsal room or during the creation process like that is so prevalent and i think as much as we try to foster that sort of community of like it's okay to try it's okay to speak and draft it's okay to fail like you mentioned like it's okay to fail um it's not an issue it's not a problem it's not a detriment to who you are as an individual um, when we have a failure, we just know that that doesn't work. 
so we try something else. Um, and I think that that's such an empowering thing. It's really just a matter of swapping up our perspectives, right? So yeah, I love that. That's great. That's great. Um, so okay, all right. We keep coming back to music. So let me let's let's sit on music for a bit. A quick question: In the world of music, where do you find yourself composing, performing? Do you play anything? Talk to me. What's your music life like? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess according to ASCAP, which is where I'm like a songwriter, I'm like a composer, lyricist, mm -hmm. um, in the technical terms. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess I try not to label myself too much as an artist because I do feel mm. I, well, I've trained different disciplines and I take inspiration from a lot of different mediums. So I try not to label myself. I feel like others who see my art will label it. It's not really my job to label it. But yeah, I guess with music, I see myself a writer foremost. I don't see myself as a, I mean, I guess I am a composer because like I produce my music and whatnot, but like, I really hate music theory. I, I just, I don't like it. I, I did it in middle school. I didn't like it. Um, it's not my thing. Uh, yeah, I, I, for me, lyrics are the most important thing. So I definitely see myself as a writer, but because my degree is in theater, I have that urge to perform my own music. So I definitely, see how I'm also a performer. Definitely guess singer-songwriter if I had to like put a label on it. Yeah, I love that. And honestly, I totally feel you on not liking to put labels on things. Sometimes it's pretty limiting, right? You're like, oh, I'm this. And then that's what people see you as. And you're like, okay, that's it. And I was like, no, uh, we're multifaceted individuals and our taste, feelings, thoughts, you know, that all changes over time. Um, so yeah, I, I, I totally respect that, but I do love that. Um, I, <laughs> I feel like I'm kind of in a similar boat. I feel like music has always been something a little personal for me. And I, I, I love, I've, yeah, music's been a part of my life for forever now. I write very sparsely. Uh, I do primarily perform. I love what you said actually about like, not being afraid for other people to use your art and then or interpret it the way that you at that they kind of see fit um i really do think that uh not to say there's two types of artists but in my mind sometimes there are kind of like two types of artists uh that one they have very specific vision for their art or for their story that they're sharing with the world um and they want that message to be clear and they want anyone else who tells that story or shares that story to be as clear as they were with the intention. And then there are others, um, I think I'm kind of on the fence, but like yourself that um, are really open to, okay, interpret it how you will. Like, just because it meant something like, or just because it meant this to me, doesn't mean that you'll, uh, you know, observe it or uh, take it in the same way that I, you know, uh, initially took it in. Uh, so I, I love that idea. And I think that's really freeing as well. I guess that supports your idea of like not labeling anything, right? You can't label your own work even because some yeah. people just interpret it a little bit differently. And it is really beautiful to see how that evolves or changes uh, from individual to individual. So yeah, I, I love that. I love that. All right. So if you could give me, I know you've thrown out a couple of names, Britney Spears, Gwen Stefani, and if they're in your top three, that's cool too. But give me your top three artists right now. Like who are you listening to? 
I like, I like, I like Miriam Akeba. I like Selena. Oh, who's the third one? I do Mitski. Okay. All right. See. All right. This is actually why I love doing this because. I remember when I was in college, university, I used to do this all the time. It's literally how I built out my like music tastes over the course of my life is just asking people what they listen to. Because all I know is Selena out of the three that you've uh, listed right now. And I'm like, all right, I got some homework to do. I'm ready to listen to more music. Um, <laughs> for me right now, I think my three are, oh man. All right, I'm gonna look, let me look at my Apple Music. I, I listen to music every day, but it keeps shifting. Um, Same here. You know, uh, okay, so there's this girl I just found, Lindsay Lomas, that I'm really vibing with lately. She just released an EP that I'm vibing real hard with called Daydreaming. Um, so that's been one that's been on repeat. Uh, I know Giveon's a pretty mainstream person right now, but I've recently been like, Put on to him i usually avoid like pop music generally speaking i think i'm just trying to rebel and be like i'm not mainstream i'm different i'm cool i'm edgy i'm not i love music just as much as everyone else so uh, i'm finally giving in and i love uh love listening to Gibby on lately and then ah oh, man that's the last one mm. it's hard when you're put on the spot because like i listen to a lot yeah. of music how do I put down like top three at the moment? <laughs> I know, I know. And that's why I try to do it by like recent. You know what I mean? Like, what am I like, what is what's on repeat right now? Because there are so many good artists out there. Like, it's hard to compare, right? How can you really say, oh, this person's better than that person? It's just the art is so different. So it's not who's better than who. It's just what are you listening to right now? Right. Um, okay, I think I have my last one. It's probably going to be Bene. Benny, Benny, whatever. Australian artist. For some reason, I love Australian artists. They keep coming back. Uh, there've been several that have been like in my top for a while, but Benny is one that I've been vibing with for the past few months now. So, all right, cool, cool. Interesting. Yeah. I got to listen to them. I have, yeah. I know, I know Giveon. I don't know Lindsay Lomas or Benny. Benny, yeah, it's B E N E E. I have no idea how to say it. I'm probably I've seen the yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't like listened to them. Yeah, they've got great music. It's 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 a vibe. I'm here for it. Um yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. Cool, cool, cool. All right, shifting gears again. Um, so kind of speaking back on just living as an artist. I know you went to school for it. Obviously you're collaborating with Grey Boss Collective um, and, uh, you know, singer songwriter to a certain extent and beyond. Um, but I am curious with your life as an artist, um, what would you say, like, is there a balance that you feel like you have to achieve? Is there sometimes where I guess you feel like you need a break from the art or, do you feel like it's just kind of infused in all of your life? Um, like, how do you balance out having art as work and art for art's sake? You know what I mean? Good question. I mean, I guess for me that, uh, I mean, I work in an art store, so I feel like I'm always surrounded by art anyway, that I guess it's just part of who I am. Like, I know people, some people say like, you know, 
eventually they like give up on the arts but I can't even see myself doing that because my job is in the arts like I that's my paycheck is literally in the arts so I can't even if like I'm working at an art store the rest of my life and I'm still making music or work doing theater working with Box Collective like part-time that's like that's still like I'm I feel like I still have arts in my life somehow I don't know if I can ever quit the arts I feel like it's just a part of everything I do and actually at work I like blast music I was blasting Miriam McKay but today at work so I'm always I'm always surrounded by art somehow I can't imagine my life without it um yeah so I don't even I don't even think about that I feel like it's or even at work sometimes I'll, I'll write down like a poem or a song that comes in my head real quickly that um yeah it's just always a part of uh who I am I mean I guess you know I definitely have songs and poems or like in the draft I don't need to release it it's always good sometimes just to write things down just for the sake of writing down um I don't feel like I have to like put out everything I write some things are just good for the journal and that's fine you know and I like having those journals because sometimes I might take a little snippet from one entry and actually do put it in like a song or poem that I release to the public but um yeah I guess to answer your question I think there are times you know I don't feel an urge to release everything I do I think you know quality over quantity I'd rather you know release have releases that are like really good and say you know I don't like filler tracks on albums I just want to release you know like uh like my albums are usually at most 10 songs I don't usually go above that that 10 is like a good amount of tracks so there's like no filler or anything yeah so. yeah yeah. Okay. I love that. I love that. And I mean, that's a great, that's a great number. I feel like there is something to be said. I don't know about you, but I am, when I listen to music, I actually do prefer to listen to the album or the EP and just like listen to the journey of it. I really do love, I feel like it went away from it, maybe like early to mid 2000s where like really uh, albums back in the day were, it felt like they were more, more geared towards like just a bunch of singles uh, with some filler tracks in between, like you're mentioning. But I think we've really started to shift back into that storytelling aspect or like building one song on top of another, like to create like this musical experience uh, in a lot of like modern albums, like in the last decade or so. And it's it's primo. It's prime. I, I love that. I love that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, I. um. I think what I want to kind of talk about now is um, just a little bit more on, I guess, sustaining yourself as an artist. You've mentioned that you have a really good, like, relationship as an artist with your art and with the art that's surrounding you. Um, and I think that that's something that a lot of artists strive for. <laughs> I feel like there are sometimes a lot of tortured artists or, like, just people who, uh, myself sometimes included, where... Sometimes I'm like, oh, am I doing the right thing? Like, should I go away from the art? Like, but to be at peace with, you know, where you're at. And I think that also might speak a little bit to just how you were brought up, maybe, because I know you mentioned like working as a background actor as like in 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 your younger days, um, but then having supportive family that was not like do more, do more, make more money, or you know, like it wasn't something that was, you know, that you were forced into or kind of like 
commandeered into. It was just something that was encouraged and nurtured and fostered, um, which I think has cultivated a really, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like it's uh, like really cultivated a healthy relationship with art. So as you continue to sustain, is there a certain practice, whether it's when you're creating for yourself or um, maybe if it's just while you're pursuing other ventures um, that you do to help sustain and keep this healthy balance in your life? Good question. Um, hmm. I'm trying to think. Uh, lots of water. I mean, especially in Arizona, like, um, especially if you're a singer, lots of water, uh, and your practices. Yeah, I mean, I play guitar, so I enjoy pain. Clearly, like, my fingers are callous. You can't really see, but they're definitely callous. Yeah. Um, but definitely sometimes when I'm, like, singing, if I feel like my voice starts to get really tired, I'll step away from the moment. And that's when I'm with my mom. I'll step away, take a breather. Um, and then maybe come back to what I was doing. So maybe just give my voice a second to rest. And sometimes I just need to, you know, if it's been a long, like a few hours of like playing and my voice is getting strained, I'll definitely be like, okay, that's enough for today. Let's put it away. Um, oh, something I started this past year is, um, something I recommend for everyone is uh, app timers for all your social media so now i only spend like 30 minutes a day on social media this past year and oh my gosh it's just changed my outlook for on life definitely um yeah app timers that's important to I, in my i love that i guess really it just kind of brings us back to the idea of everything in moderation right like be okay with walking away from something, be okay leaving something in the journal, be okay with only getting on an app for 30 minutes, you know, at a time. Like, I think that that is, I feel like in these conversations sometimes when we're looking for advice or we're seeking, you know, uh, insider tips, we always want something super deep or like superficial. And no, really and truly, it's like, find that balance within yourself, be okay with taking time away from something and uh, be okay with the art that you're creating as well. I think there's sometimes where we feel like we have the need to like push through something regardless of anything and like, you know, <laughs> torture ourselves um, or, you know, we have to get something out and it's just this tormented feeling, but sometimes it is okay to just say, you know what, today I'm going to rest. Today I'm going to work on this. Today I'm going to, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, take in art, you know, to refill myself. Um, I think that that, uh, that moderation, that balance um, seems to be a recurring theme with just how you approach your life in general. And I, I really think that's beautiful. Um, so yeah, that's really cool. I love that. Um, cool. I, I do want to know uh, just one other thing. And I should have asked this at the beginning. I always forget because I'm scatterbrained, but who isn't these days? <laughs> Um, probably from too many apps. You know what? I should moderate. That's that's what I gotta do. Uh, uh, no. So okay. Do you have a favorite like check-in or warm-up or like grounding centering activity um, that you do uh, in general? Like I guess whether it's coming into a Gravehogs collective space or if it's just you about to journal or about to write a song or about to perform. I know I gave a lot of abouts there, but <laughs> take it how you will. <laughs> That's a good question. What do I do before performing? 
Uh, it always depends on the performance because you know if it's like with music I'll tune my guitar but if it's like a theater play then I'll do like vocal warm-ups um gray box something I like to do is uh I learned this at ASC actually in a show I did um it's I don't know what it's called it's like you close your eyes and you draw a self-portrait of yourself and you're kind of Shout out to Alexis Green, my director for a show I did at ASU Good Friday, who taught me this. Um, yeah, it's just a cool exercise to, you know, with your eyes closed, how do you see yourself, you know? Yeah, very, very much abstract expressionism. And you see the ending product, but I like it. That's awesome. I feel like it almost encourages you to see yourself in a positive light when you are like, closing your eyes like it's not a reflection it's not a drawing it's not something that's necessarily tangible it really is a very introspective practice I, I love that that's great I know for me sometimes like when I'm coming into a performance um I feel like a lot of times I actually like isolate myself I feel like a lot of people just by default I think as artists or performers in general there's a very uh it's very tied to the idea that you're an extrovert if you're a performer because we're expressive people sometimes by default and I think sometimes like allowing myself before we get into the thick of it to just and really after too for me but like I usually do try to like remove myself from everything and everyone and just like find me so without closing my eyes and doing the self-portrait I do kind of do that in a sense of like all right we're gonna center ourselves we're gonna find you know the character the song the moment uh, the movement, uh, whatever the case may be for whatever the given work is, really to just kind of hone in and I guess remove all those other distractions, moderate all of that other stuff out for the moment uh, before you hop in. So yeah, I love that. I love that. Cool. Um, well, I think we've come to the part of the conversation where I get to ask you, are there any other anythings? Oh, question oh uh, mm. no i think we covered everything or something i could think of to ask well, i'll definitely and lindsay lomas you said yes yes okay that'll be great i love it well sweet john thank you so much for joining this was so lovely to chat and get to yes. know each other a little bit better and bond over music <laughs> um but i've really enjoyed it uh we'll see you hey listeners thank you so much for taking the time and energy to listen to this episode of any other anything uh be sure to check out the show notes for links to find out more about the podcast the speakers and Greybox collective you can also go to greyboxcollective.com backslash podcast for a full transcript of this episode. Again, thanks so much for listening and take care of yourselves. Peace.